everyone. I'm back with part two of my first episode of my photo book series. So in today's video I will be doing the last two sections of this book. I'll leave a link in the description below for the first part. So let's get started. Horsepower is a measure of a car's worth. Perhaps it relates to pre-automotive times when horses were the primary mode of, mode of transportation. The more horses you had, the better off you were. It's a concept that seamlessly made the transition to the automobile. The more horses you have, the better off you are. So it's natural that the top of the food chain would be the most powerful cars. Unlike being built for speed, cars built for power make a different statement. It's about presence, a mastery of the surroundings, a throaty exhaust note. Powerful cars are important cars. Take the Mercedes 540k for instance. At the time when many cars' outputs were measured in two digits, the 540k offered 115 horsepower, but was fitted with a blower that boosted that figure to 180 on demand. The engine shrieked and bellowed, sure signs that real power was being made. Beyond the sound, the car itself is imposing in stature, a look befitting a car considered to be the king of the autobahn. Cars built for power are about the engine more than anything else, and as the industry evolved, more power meant more cylinders. The first engines associated with big power were V8s. In the 1932, Ford revolutionized American industry, where it offered a V8 in its Model A. It wouldn't be until after World War II that the other US manufacturers would respond with high compression V8s of their own. Throughout the 1950s, large American V8s were the envy of the world and found their way into cars everywhere. Cadillac engines would power Allards, the Chrysler Hemi would power the Swiss built Rassel Vega, Carroll Shelby would forever transform the AC Ace when he created the Cobra using Ford V8 power. The 1960s were all about power especially from ever larger displacement V8s. For more horsepower, the same goes, nothing beats more cubic inches. Chevy's workhorse small block V8 would give way to the big block, which would displace in excess of 500 cubic inches, 8,193cc. Of course, the Italians with their mastery of 12-cylinder engines have always been a force in the horsepower wars. While Ferrari and Lamborghini didn't take displacement to the same extremes as their American counterparts, they compensated by having half again as many cylinders and would rev the engines much higher to achieve the same goal. 
maximum output. Power, for all its allure, seemed to go out of fashion in the 1970s, due in part to two oil crises and a global commitment to clean up water exhaust. It was during this period that the average horsepower fell to levels not seen since before World War II. The invention of the catalytic converter, and more importantly, the application of sophisticated electronics to engine management, set the stage for a new golden age of power. In 1984, the Corvette crept back to 200 horsepower. Within six years, the ZR1 version of the car would make double that. The Dodge Viper bowed in 1992 with a new V10 engine and 400 horses. The race was on again. Engines would get larger and more powerful. Lamborghini would break the 500 horsepower level with the Diablo in 1990. Ferrari's Enzo in 2003 would take it to well over 600. Finally, the relaunch of the Bugatti brand by VW Group would see a V16 powered Veyron with a 1,100 horsepower engine. But this new golden age will not last forever. New concern over global climate change has put a spotlight on these high horsepower cars. Big power means poor fuel economy and high CO2 emissions. With governments looking to cut that output, an obvious and visible target is the automobile, particularly high horsepower automobiles. That doesn't mean the desire to build or own the most powerful car on the planet has gone away. It's just left to be seen if society will tolerate such vehicles. Until the force of carbon emission regulations are felt, you can count on seeing at least a few more models with big power being introduced, but they will be the last of a dying breed. Mercedes-Benz 540k special booster. Chevrolet Corvette 427 covers. Might keep that for another video. Shelby Cobra PC427 convertible.
bikini contact. Something straight out of an 80s video. The Ferrari F40. Lamborghini Diablo VT. Chevy Series 1 Monster. Chevrolet Corvette. Oh, the Ford Mustang Shelby GT500, another one of my favorites.
collection. Just built for beauty. Aesthetics matter when it comes to automobiles. While it may take you places, or is powerful, or fun to drive, or prestigious, when it's parked, it's just there for all to see. Great automobiles are as much about art as they are about engineering. It's interesting that design really didn't become integrated into the manufacturing process until 1927, when General Motors invited Harley Earl to form an in-house design studio, the industry's first. Until then, Earl, like countless other designers of the time, practiced the craft at coach builders. These small companies created some magnificent cars, especially in the 1930s. The Ital Italians had the lion's share of noted carrozzerias, particularly Zagato, which created fantastic Alfa Romeos. Bertone, which was responsible for the futuristic BAT concepts of the 1950s. Pininfarina, which created some of the most beautiful and desirable Ferraris ever. French design houses, like Vigoni and Felici, created fabulous coupés for marks like Bugatti, Talbot Lego and De La Haye. Still, these fantastic designs were limited in numbers and reserved for the truly rich. What Hardy Earl wrought was good design on a grand scale of making manufacturers responsible for the look of their own cars. His vision for the automobile can be summed up in three simple words, longer, lower, wider. It was Earl who developed the idea of the show car, being the industry's first in the 1938 Buick Whitechapel. The rest of the industry quickly recognised that good design sells and changing design, making cars more beautiful with each succeeding model year, was good for business. Still, for all its mass production implications, the design process by vehicle manufacturers can still be greatly influenced by one person. The difference a person can make is most readily seen at Jaguar under the direction of Sir William Lyons. That Lyons possessed an uncanny eye for vehicle design is unchallenged. It also underscores how much an appreciation for beauty is intuitive and not a learned skill. The Jaguar XK120 is often cited as the first car that many enthusiasts have fallen in love with. Its pure lines and shapely flanks is reason alone to want one. Never mind the fact that it was a pretty good performer for the time as well. Lyons demonstrated over and over again his talent for creating cars that fired the imagination. From the nicely proportioned Mark II to the legendary E-Type. No less an authority on beauty, the Museum of Modern Art in New York, more specifically the curator of architecture, Arthur Drexler, decided that cars were art. On September 15, 1951, the museum opened an exhibit simply titled Eight Automobiles. Among the vehicles were a 49 Cistalia Gran Turismo, a 39 Talbo Lego Teardrop Coupe, 37 Quartz 812, a 41 Lincoln Continental, a 30 Mercedes-Benz SS, a 39 Bentley, a 48 MG TC and even a prosaic 51 Willys Jeep, showing that indeed form does follow function. Drexler believed automobiles are hollow rolling sculpture. They have interior spaces corresponding to an outer form, like buildings, the designer's aesthetic purpose is to enclose the functioning parts of an automobile as well as its passengers in a packet suggesting direct movement along the ground. These aesthetics carry forward to this day in design staffs all around the world.
good design, beauty is essential to cars and not a luxury, especially as cars become more liable, almost transportation commodities if you will, is what they look like that will distinguish one from another and will determine winners and losers. Fortunately these days there are more winners than losers. Walter De Silva, head of design for the VW Group, sums up the approach to design and art thusly. I made those new designs, like the old famous cars area, like Pinion Farina. Few lines, well done, well balanced, nice surface, sculptured surface. For me this is good design. I don't like designs where you use a styling element to cover some mistake. If the product is genuine, if the product is good, if the package is well done, you don't have to cover it with artificial lines. You remember the Ferrari GTO, there were no lines in this car. It was a sculpture. This is my philosophy. That enduring philosophy, shared by many, will ensure that fine automobiles will always be built for beauty. for me will be 87. Looks like something from James Bond. Or Batman. Yeah, for me will be 86. Familiar grill. The Jaguar XK one twenty M Roadster. Two fifty GT California Spider. It's beautiful. I love these kind of wiper blades. Not very cold bush. They look beautiful. Aston Martin DB4 GT Sagato.
Dino. Two four six GTS. Ford Shelby. Aston Martin DB9. This is my favorite of the Aston Martin DBs in terms of recent models. The DB5 and the DB9 are my favorite. I think, personally, I think you can't get a better sports car shape than the DB9. Maserati Grand Turismo. Of course they've kept this for years. The Audi R8 Coupe Quad. Or... Tronic. Or Tronic. Audi then. I bought my first car, my first Audi, a few years ago. And then I bought another Audi again, and I absolutely love it. And I know they've since brought out, I think last year they introduced the new R8, and it has this really cool grill. Not this similar, but I love Audi. <laughs> Speed, power, beauty, history, curiosities, performance. Text of all the cars we just covered. 